Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I am David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Good. Good. Looks like a nice day out there in Edmonton. And um, interesting day for the Edmonton Oilers. Something that had been long anticipated, heavily rumored. No, no surprise. James Neal was bought out today by the Edmonton Oilers. Bruce, you've been writing a lot about this. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say are the key implications of this buyout? Why did the Oilers? Why do you think the Oilers did it? In your opinion, why did they make this move? Well, they, I mean, they signaled their intention to make this move. One could argue as early as uh, two years ago when they acquired James Neal in exchange for the. Uh, uh, four Horsemen of the Apocalypse contract of uh, Milan Lucic. And they were similar terms, similar cap hit. Uh, Oilers even took on additional o- obligations. But the one big saving grace of the Neal contract was that it was buyoutable. And the Lucic deal really was unbuyoutable due to its um, uh, bonus structure. Uh, I mean, Peter Shirelli really, really uh, constructed a, a, a contract that was entirely in the player's favor in every imaginable aspect. And when the player stopped performing just a year and a half into his seven-year contract, the Oilers were on the hook for a huge obligation. So the deal to get Neil's deal was uh, was step one. And step two was at some future point down the road, it only made sense that Edmonton would, was going to buy that out to at least create some cap space to, to move forward. And now with two years to go in it, they basically uh, bought $3.8 million in cap space for each of the next two years at the cost of having an additional cap penalty of $1.9 million for the two years that follow. So just a massive, massive um, mistake by by Peter Chiarelli that the club is going to continue to pay for until 2025. It's his biggest yep. mistake by far. Biggest mistake by even more than the Griffin Reinhardt trade. Um, a first round pick may or may not work out. If you look at the picks taken around that pick, the 15th overall pick, a lot of them worked. Some of them worked out spectacularly. Others, others, not so much. Others, not so much. So it was a mistake. I'm not saying this isn't a mistake. I'm just weighing the mistakes. The Lucic mistake was such a mistake, Bruce. Mm -hmm. It prevented, first of all, they had a winger who fit with Connor McDavid and Patrick Maroon. They couldn't keep him because they signed Milan Lucic in the end. I I think that was the main reason they couldn't keep Patty Maroon. How, How would the Oilers franchise have been different if that hadn't happened? It, it, it precipitated the Taylor Hall trade, I think, that the, you know, and I, I right. think the Oilers got a really good player back at Adam Larson. And I think that trade was kind of a wash. The, the, the Devils got a win out of it. So did the Oilers in the end. They, Adam Larson fulfilled his end of the bargain for the Edmonton Oilers. But it precipitated that trade. Um, that trade might have happened anyway, though, because they needed a right shot D-man and they were been desperate for years. But Lucic just was terrible in Edmonton in the end. He had one okay season and then he was terrible. And, uh, you know, I, as a devil's advocate on this buyout, you know, the owners, you know, there's the idea that you need gritty veterans in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, And James Neal could be one of those. He was in his first playoffs in Edmonton, less so this year. This, This year, you know, there was some talk he had had long COVID and was, was weakened throughout the season. Maybe the case, we don't know that we don't know all the story there. He um, had a great start with the Oilers and then tapered off. Nonetheless, Bruce, in terms of even strength scoring this year, James Neal for Oilers forwards, out of 15 Oilers forwards who played more than 200 even strength minutes, James Neal was fifth out of 15 for even strength scoring. Mm -hmm. That's the good news. The bad news is his rate of even strength scoring was really low. And the Oilers, after you got past the top, Two players. <laughs> Everyone let the Oilers down. Yamamoto, his even strength scoring was cut in half from the previous season. Nugent Hopkins' even strength scoring cratered, even though he played so much time with McDavid and Dreisaitl. So James Neal's even strength scoring was marginally better than the the 
unbelievable number of Oilers players who underperformed at even strength. Uh, but it, it certainly did not merit the salary that he was going to get next year. And you can make a, you know, the orders are, as we hear, the orders are all in right now, where that's the, the mm-hmm. company line and the, you know, and there makes some sense to it. There's some sense to that. The orders are all in. So this is, this is them going all in. They're going to spend this money in the next couple of years down the road, though, it makes it harder to compete uh, for the Edmonton orders when they have to, and when they need much, this is just four years. So I guess in terms of any new contract for Dreisaitl or McDavid, this won't play into it um, in terms of cap space. Although it right. might, in the la- just just in the years that Dreisaitl's contract comes up and McDavid comes up, they, they have this cap penalty, which prevents mm-hmm. them from being as competitive a team as they otherwise, otherwise might have been. So there's that. Overall, Bruce, I support this move. I, I, you know, I think that James Neal is, can still play mm-hmm. in the NHL. He's a minimum salary kind of player. He's a veteran who could help a team mm-hmm. um, in the playoffs. I still believe that, and and might be able right. to ch- and can chip in. You know, like he's not that dissimilar from Corey Perry um, in terms of what he might bring to a team. I think so. A team looking for that kind of veteran would, I think, would be well advised to sign James Neal. I think he's got a little bit of game left, just not obviously anywhere close to five point five million dollars a year, or what was that? What it was five point five five seven five. Five seven five million a year, uh, and not even half that. So it didn't make sense for a team to take him with the Oilers eating half right. the cap yet either, unless your Oilers were going to sweeten that. So that really made that a pretty poison pill for the Oilers to try to trade the contract. So overall, uh, I support the buyout. The Oilers were in the exact same conundrum when they bought out uh, Andrew Sekra. Uh, a couple of years ago, and they had, he had two years to run at $5.5 million cap hit. And in order to trade the guy, even if they retained half, the other team would have to commit to two years at $2.75 million. And instead, the Oilers bought him out, and Dallas found him on the free agent market for one year at $1.5 million. And at that price, he, you know, he performed for Dallas. But he was just way, way below because of injuries in his case, and you could argue in Neil's case that injuries and illnesses have uh, have uh, devalued him. But uh, the fact remains that uh, when he arrived in Calgary, right after he signed that contract, the signs of erosion were very clear indeed. He had a very poor season for the Flames, and they uh, they flipped him after just the one season. So they, you know, he's uh, you know he turned 30. You know, next year, in fact, he was already 30 when he got to Calgary. Next year, he'll be 34. So I agree with you. Some team will pick him up on the free agent market. Uh, maybe not for minimum, but maybe for a million, um, 1.2, you know, maybe he'll get the Sekra money, but he won't get, you know, his big paydays are, are over. And if he has some utility left, he'll be, you know, he'll be paid at that level as opposed to, uh, uh, you know, what he was. Maybe Nashville will pick him off the the free agent market and give him a two-year deal the way Edmonton did with Kyle Turris last year. But I honestly see James Neal being a year-to-year player. And I had half a thought that Edmonton might keep him and he might wind up on long-term injury reserve with this long COVID thing. But uh, uh, clearly, that's not the diagnosis. And you, you need a legitimate medical opinion to do something like that because that would have saved them a, a ton of, hurt on the on the salary cap front if they've been yeah. able to do that. Well maybe he had longish COVID. Like, you know, uh, ev- everyone's had that cold that lasts three, four, five months and and wipes you out, or at least I have. Mm-hmm. People have that cold. And but yeah. uh, you know, but six months later you're you're fine. So maybe right. that's that's what the well. case anyway. We're just guessing on that. Bruce, the point you made up about uh Sakura got me thinking, you know, the owners bought out Sakura Mm-hmm. And um, he went on to have, I think, a pretty good year in Dallas as a bottom pairing D man. He's played top far part of the time, and then this year, not probably quite as good. Of course, he was never the same after that Ryan Getzlaff hit. But the owners at that point had a number of young defensemen that they needed to make roster roster space for to to see how Caleb Jones, for instance, was going to turn out as a player. So I really thought that you know, my level of support for that buyout was, was part in part based on that is teams need to change. They need to get some younger players. There was cap relief from that deal in the short term. And, 
Um, so I could I could think along with the GM and see see the thinking there, and it, and they did give Caleb Jones a chance. He did get. Um, you know, you, I don't think anyone can say and like there's lots of people unhappy. Caleb Jones didn't got moved out from Edmonton, particularly in that particular deal. But I think it is fair to say that Caleb Jones got an opportunity to prove himself in Edmonton and didn't really grab the bull by the horns. This mm-hmm. time with this buyout, there is also a number of players who I think I would rather see in the lineup than James Neal uh, for yep. the Edmonton Oilers. On the, there's both Tyler Benson and Cooper Marodi top of that list. And um, if the Oilers hadn't had James Neal, we might have seen Marodi and Benson get a get a chance this past season when they really, when that when really that was their window. Yeah. To, now they're competing against Holloway and uh, McLeod, which is a good thing. Great to have competition like that. There's something to be said for gritty veterans on the wing in the playoffs. There's also something to be said for youthful energy, mm-hmm. you know, who get in there on the forecheck and get after it. Wing is not the most complicated position in the NHL. It is the least complicated position to play in the NHL. It's the least, uh, where in terms of where you need experience, I think you really need it on defense and you can use it at center and in net. On the wing, I'm less convinced that it's a a priority for any team to have a bunch of experienced older wingers. I like my wing, (laughs) like I'm young and fast and quick, getting in there hard on the Mm -hmm. forecheck with high levels of, with the max peak skill. Peak skill happens for players in their 20s, not in their 30s. So I'm not against veteran wingers, but uh, in in this regard, I'm glad that space has been made for for possibility for Tyler Benson to have a breakthrough or Cooper Marodi to have a big breakthrough. And that's this much more likely now to happen with Neil gone, although they've created the cap space, of course, to bring in wingers who might rank ahead of uh, Benson and Marodi. So it could be a double-edged sword for, for them, this move today. Well, Zach Hyman, I mean... He's clearly coming in, yes. and he's uh, clearly uh, going to play left wing just because, I mean, the Oilers protected four right wingers in the uh, expansion draft. Uh, so, that, you know, there's no holes on right wing. The, the spaces that are there are on the left side, uh, at least as the roster is currently constructed. And Hyman is going to create more of a, uh, a, a obstacle uh in one sense, for those uh, young guys to make it onto the team. In the other sense, James Neal was a bottom six winger. Zach Hyman's a top six winger. So what they're opening up here is, I mean, in in the roster, you could say Hyman's actually replacing Dominic Cahoon. Yes. And, uh, you know, and getting paid like a top six winger, whereas Cahoon wasn't. He was, uh, you know. Hey, say that again, that Hyman's position. replacing Dominic Cahoon, Bruce. Say that again, because it made me feel really good when you said yeah. that. So could you say that yeah, again? Yeah. In, in the actual game night lineup, Zach Hyman has taken the spot of Dominic Cahoon. Well, thank you for saying that. Yeah. I, it really makes me feel good to hear that. And <laughs> and a guy like Tyler Benson now has a shot at replacing uh, the roster spot of James Neal. And now instead of spending six million on a bottom six winger and one million on a top six, you've got you flipped it, and you're actually paying the guy that's in that's placed uh, to, you know, to deliver the goods and the and the numbers. So, I mean, obviously Hyman has to work out, but uh, it's a more sensible, uh, more sensible arrangement of the uh, of the cap space for sure. And whatever reservations I have about the Hyman deal which i've articulated you've articulated your own it's not in the first year of this contract it's it's great to have zach hyman as your top line winger this year it's freaking fantastic to have that so that's that's the that's why i feel some happiness here is is uh in the next couple years i think um he's a good bet to perform at a peak level and um that's really good for the edmonton Oilers in the short term and we'll see how it plays out in the long term i mean um we've already expounded on that uh, so yeah, good luck to James Neal in another city. Mm-hmm. I liked, I liked his play in Edmonton. I thought he worked hard. I thought he, every, you know, every time he was on the ICU, you could count on him to get in there, forecheck hit. He was a little, a little bit slow, yeah. um, getting in there on the forecheck. I, that's why he was taken out of the Winnipeg series is that the orders would dump the puck in Not Winnipeg bad. would, uh, Winnipeg would obstruct chase on and Neal. And then because both of them were slowed up, they didn't ha- then have this, the speed, the, the, that explosiveness skating ability to then get in on the forecheck and be effective so it that really the amount of obstruction um 
took away their ability to be effective. And that's why both of them in the end, I think both ended up sitting in those. Chase on was taken out of the lineup as well. For game three, and then he got he got back in in game four when yeah. Archibald got suspended. And it was Chase on, in fact, who scored the last goal of the season for the Oilers on, on the power play that gave them the lead in game four that they couldn't hold. Yeah. So Devin Shore, the reason he's back and they're not is frankly, I think, is he was able, he had the speed and the skating ability to get in on the fort, to be effective in that playoff game. And it just really turned the Oilers' heads that he did do that and and other people didn't. And whether that's a good decision or a bad decision, we've already been over. Um, Bruce, what else is on our list here? Um, Do you have any final thoughts on Neil before we move on? Oh, just just to wish him well. And I'm sorry we saw the, 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 the wrong end of of his career uh and you know i mean it's it's a sad fact that uh for the next two years the oilers will have under listed under dead cap space both james neal and milan lucic uh with the cap retention for lucic and you know so there's uh, there's still like almost 2.7 million dollars in in dead cap out of the you know the six million per year originally so they're saving but they're not saving all that much in the end at the end of the day out of the 42 million in cap space that was committed to uh milan lucic the Oilers will will be tagged for over 40 million of it and the savings are pretty marginal but all of those savings are in the next two years yeah good luck to james neal wherever mm. he ends up and we have a player i think in the system who may come and remind us very much of James Neal in the years to come. And I've got my fingers crossed on this. I think that uh, Raphael Lebois mm-hmm. is a very similar player to what I remember from James Neal in his prime. James Neal was a both of them Shooter. big forwards, hard to the net, nasty, a bit of a mean streak, mm-hmm. and great shooters, great shooters, shooters of the puck. So um, we'll see how quickly. La- Lebois is now in his second pro season. Um, he played professional hockey in Sweden last year and then in the AHL where he acquitted himself, you know, he was a little inconsistent. He had some good moments and bad moments in the AHL. I think it's clear he's going to start out in the AHL. Mm-hmm. But Raphael Lavoie, like again, wingers don't need to spend. I don't think they need to spend forever in the AHL to become um, useful NHL players. I don't say that about defensemen or centers. I'm saying it's about wingers. And right. Raphael Lavoie may be... Sooner than later. And same with Dylan Holloway. Sooner than later on the Oilers' wing. So uh, there's, you know, Neil moving out opens up opportunity for everybody. Marodi, Benson, Lavoie. Um, and, and the question is, how many wingers is um, Holland looking at bringing in? They have a need. It's th- clearly third-line center has been talked about. It. It's a big need. There could be a need in net. There is a need in net. Um, I think it would be a good idea to bring in another goalie if they could find the right goalie. And um, there's obviously a huge need, Bruce, on defense. Adam Larson's departure. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's the third top four, arguably top pairing defenseman the Oilers have lost in the last five years. Andre Sekera, essentially to injury, getting yep. banged up by Ryan Getzloff. Oscar Kleffbaum to injury, getting banged up in the 2017 playoffs. And, and and being the Oilers' best player, I, I would argue, in that playoff run was Oscar Kleffbaum. Maybe Dreisaitl, but Kleffbaum consistently. Dreisaitl got better as it went along. Kleffbaum was fantastic from start to end of that playoff run till he got hurt. Mm-hmm. He never again attained that level of play as an Edmonton Oiler, and now he's out. Now they've lost Larson. And we hear one of the reasons that Larson's left is because... Um, his best buddy, Clefbaum, got hurt and is no longer here. We, the, the impact on the Edmonton Oilers franchise of losing these three top four demon in the, in the last five years is immense, utterly immense. Some bad luck in a way. You, you expect injuries on defense. This is really bad. These are really bad injuries with re- massive repercussions on the Edmonton Oilers. And this thing with Larson, it's still... Um, let's say if things go wrong this year, Bruce, for the mm-hmm. Edmonton Oilers, I think top of top of the list is going to be problems stopping the cycle, being a strong defensive team, maybe on the penalty kill, um, 
all those things that Larson excelled at are, are going to be really missed. The ability to shut down top attacking forwards on the other team. So for me, this is the number one need is finding that uh, that defenseman to replace Adam Larson or not a number of defensemen by committee to, to replace him. What do you think is the what, what's your assessment in terms of big needs right now? What would you say? Uh, yeah, of the core 12. Uh, I would say uh, uh, the the biggest need right now is uh, certainly a right defense. Uh, they have, you know, they got two youngsters under contract in uh, Ethan Bear and Evan Bouchard. Uh, and really that's it for, the you know, the right side of any kind of uh, proven players, right? I mean, both uh, Barry is going to market, it looks like, and Larson's gone. And... Last year they had all four of those guys uh, on the team the entire year, and you know Bouchard was number four and he didn't play a lot. And he, you know, he's going to get his opportunity, but ideally that would be on the third pairing, not the second. And ideally Bear would be on the second pairing, not the first. You know, but uh, who they got on on uh, on right defense? So that's that's a huge need, and I'm really just not sure what's out there. I mean, you're hearing talks about uh, you know. Um, Hamannick, uh to me, at his where he's at at this point in his career, that's a definite step down from where Adam Larson was. Hamannick's a good player, don't get me wrong, but he's he's further along the career curve and definitely on the uh, receding down the hill side of it. And so, but that's you know that's sort of the player they're looking at. But most of the guys I see that are right defensemen that are out there are more third pairing guys and second pairing. Yeah, so so one alter- alternative way to solve it would be to sign Tyson Berry. So then you have the three right D who are already clearly are NHL players, and then look for that cycle buster, that shutdown mm-hmm. defenseman as your third pairing lefty. And um, so yeah. I, I went through the free agent list. I'm just gonna mm-hmm. and and these are the players I kind of looked at as possibilities for the Oilers. Here's the quick list: uh, Tyson Berry, Brandon Montour, who's a UFA. Cody CC, he's a puck mover. Cody CC is—is is he kind of a shutdown guy? Is he a bit more physical? Ryan Murray, Travis Hamanick, Derek Forbert. Derek Forbert is a shutdown kind he's of a lefty. Man. He's a lefty. lefty. So he would be the Murray. third pairing. He'd yeah. be your third pairing guy on that that side. And um, Patrick Nemeth, who's who's also a lefty. Mm-hmm. I think he's kind of a shutdown guy. Yes. Zadino Chara, who Ooh, is a lefty. Alexander Edler. Mark Pissick, who is a right D, and uh, David Savard, who's a right D, John Merrill, who's a left D, Zach Bogosian, who's a right D, and he's a big kind of physical guy, Dmitry Kulikov, who's a left D, mm-hmm. Yanni Hakenpah, I, I like that name, Hakenpah, what a great name yeah. for a defenseman, should be Hack and Slash, but uh, Hack and Paw <laughs> will do. In today's NHL, Hack and Paw is actually probably... Hack and Whack. Hack and Whack. Uh, there was a defense pairing that were nicknamed Hack and Whack. Used to play with the Red Wings. I can't remember who they were, but that was a perfect nickname. It was two, two choppers, you know. <laughs> what era? 50s, 60s? Oh no, no, 90s. This was Harry Neal era, you know. Okay. Bestowing nicknames on players. Uh, Hack and so Hack and Whack, Slater Cuckoo and Tucker Pullman. Tucker Pullman being a right D, and Hack and pa, I, I think on a previous podcast that might have thought he was a lefty he is a righty i was incorrect if i said that mm-hmm. um so there's some some names there none of them jump out at me bruce maybe david savard david in terms savard. of is the closest yeah. and if they sign savard on a big money like if they give him enough money to entice him here on a short-term deal that might be the play I, I, but again i'm not an expert at any of these def- like I, I think i can assess tyson barry and slater cuckoo i'm confident in doing that None of the others, I want to say, do, should you take put any weight, in my opinion, on their ability? Like, because I don't really have that confidence myself to do it. But from and I, so I'm just going on kind of reputation and what people are saying yeah. about him, which can be misleading. So the ones I like on the list personally are, um, I like Alexander Edler, and but I could be going from more from memory than anything. But I still see him as a possibility on the, like if they were to go to with Hamannick and Edler, for instance. Now Vancouver's defense was kind of Swiss cheese. Swiss cheesy last year, but Quinn Hughes really struggled on defense himself. So I think that was one of the big issues. But Hamannick 
um, you know, and Etler by reputation um, are good defensive defensemen. Hamannick, the problem with Hamannick is he miss he, he in terms of just staying healthy and and getting into games, he struggled in in recent years to do that. So someone else might mention Jason Demers as a possible. Uh, that's another name. Pissick, uh, the analytics people, people who who put a lot of faith in shot metrics, stats, how the team mm-hmm. does on the ice when that player's on the ice. His numbers, I think, are consistently and including last year, really strong. So, um, Bogosian, I don't, I don't know Zach Bogosian. He's third. He's third pairing. I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Who, who do sure you like? Any personal solution? I mean, David Savard. I'm just looking at his page now. Six two two thirty three. He's thirty years old, turning thirty one in October. Uh, just won the Stanley Cup. Uh, 600, over 600 games in his career, 20 minutes a night, uh, including last year, basically averaged 20 minutes a night. So still, you know, playing top four minutes. That's uh, kind of the dividing line between top four and, and not. It's right around that 20-minute mark. Uh, that uh, uh, he could play, and, you know, and he's a he's a fairly uh, fairly rugged player, not quite a, a Larson's uh, uh uh, you know, hit machine, but uh, he uh, he does play a, a, a big heavy, like 233 pounds. That's a heavy guy, and he plays a he plays a heavy game. And uh, I I just don't know what the price point will be. Is that, is he a guy that'll just command huge bucks on the open market, or can they get him for four times four, say? Well, one interesting thing that we're hearing <laughs> four times four. One interesting <laughs> thing that we're hearing to mention four times four. Mm-hmm. One, we're hearing Ryan. I'm hearing the rumors about Ryan Sutter. You know, I'm listening to the various NHL insiders. And four years, I think it was Elliot Friedman. Correct me if fact check me on that. But I listening to his podcast where Sutter, Ryan Sutter, Suter was talked about. He's a Suter, not a Sutter. Okay, yeah. uh, he was talked about as four year deal. And who knows mm-hmm. how much he's going to get, which is really interesting, Bruce. Because one of the comparables, one of the things that came up with Duncan Keith, which I thought was a fair comment, was. Well, Ryan Suter suddenly was bought out the day after the trade was made uh, mm-hmm. for Keith. And people were saying, we could get Ryan Sutter like for one year at like $1.5 million. It looks like there has been a certain underestimation by many people, probably maybe even including us, uh, of what the market is going to be for a defenseman who can play some hockey. Mm-hmm. And people see Ryan Suter in that category and he'll get four years. And I bet you he's going to get. Just from the vibe, anyone who's going to get four years, I, I could see three million a year, three and a half. Uh, so he's not going to be, and he's only going to go to certain markets, of course. And we see this, you know, we all like, we all tend to underplay the going to certain markets thing. I always think, ah, he, the players will come to Edmonton, right? They want to play with Connor McDavid, and and that is the case. But we need a reality check yeah. in Canada and Edmonton on this. This is becoming a huge. If it wasn't a huge factor before. I mean, it wasn't in our heads that it was a huge factor before, even though we've read year after year after year that Edmonton kind of is one of the top places for players in terms of their no movement clause, including Edmonton on the list. You know, I think we've been distracted because Tyson Berry chose Edmonton and Milan Lucic chose Edmonton. So there are some players who clearly will will, will choose Edmonton, but there's lots who won't. And the latest Exhibit A, well, there's Larson. Exhibit A is Adam mm-hmm. Larson in that. But Exhibit B is, is hitting people in Vancouver over the head they um what's the what's the name Schmidt what's his first name Nate Nate. Schmidt heck of a player like I really Mm -hmm. like that player Winnipeg worked out a deal just now for Nate Schmidt and Nate Schmidt won't go to Winnipeg he he's refused invoked his no uh trade clause and he's not moving to Winnipeg so it with all of these players that we're mentioning Mm-hmm. We and this is something that you and I don't know. We don't know actually how many players the orders are actually in the running for. Right. Are they like we both may favorably mentioned David Savard mm-hmm. on all the lists? I don't see his his name mentioned with Edmonton. I see it with Montreal, right. so he's willing to right. go to Canada. But I see no mention at all of the Edmonton orders, and so this is an unknowable for us. Whether you know whether we're looking at a list. I've mentioned, let's say, I mentioned twelve names there. Maybe the list of that twelve is just three. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Lucic and Barry that you mentioned willing to come to Edmonton, they're both Western Canadian boys. Yes. Ryan Suter's from Madison, Wisconsin, you know, has played his entire career in the United States, lived his entire life in the United States, played for Team USA, 
He's 36 years old. He's set for life just with what he's getting paid in his buyout, let alone the, the tens of millions he made before that. And so he really gets to pick his destination point. You really think it's going to be Edmonton? I would put the chance of pretty much 0.0%. Yeah. Suit or come to Edmonton. Yeah. You know, let's be real. Yeah. And, and for all we know, David Savard's 1%. Like, or they'd have to have a, a fairly massive overpay. I think you yeah. can get players. You, you can get Mark Fain or Benoit Pouliot to come to Edmonton. It might not be their first choice, but you pay them at least one year in term over market and maybe half a million dollars over the, the, each year over the life of the contract. That's how that's how you, typically the Oilers win a free agent. I mean, it's typically how most teams win free agents is overpay on on a term and 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 one or the other or both. Or so both. it's not that unusual. And you know, you don't want to. I don't want to over overstate it either that this is an issue, but it clearly is an issue. And and so when when people like Bob Stoffer or Mark Spector bring it up, they're often painted as carrying water for management or apologists for management. No, they're they're delivering. Don't shoot the messenger here. Is what is kind of hit home with me in the last in the last week. Is these guys are actually telling us something that is true, that they're hearing constantly, and it's not just an excuse. It's a, it's a reality, and mm-hmm. and um, it hit home in in painful fashion with Adam Larson leaving oh. um, this past week. And the other aspect is that people are saying, well, four times four, Larson could have signed for that here. And yet I read one report from someone who seemed to know what he was talking about, saying that the difference in taxes between uh, Washington State, which apparently has basically zero taxes, and Alberta, uh, which has relatively low taxes, but it was something like 700000 out of the $4 million. It's a lot uh, of money. That's, you know, that's a lot of dough. So the Canadian teams are playing, paying this huge premium on, in addition to this don't want to go to Canada. Well, one of the reasons they don't want to go to Canada is those, those tax implications. And it's uh, uh, one of the reasons that um, uh, we find more and more um, talent sort of heading further south in the United States. And uh, we see the Stanley Cup heading in the same direction. Yeah, so I guess as fans, is is for myself, what I'm going to be doing in the future is when I hear that argument, I'm not going to immediately discount it and say, oh, that's just an excuse or that's carrying water for the team. I'm going to say, oh, you know, that I'm going to I'm going to put some weight in that. That that could well, you know, that has the air of reality. And and I'm going to think, OK, you know, this tax issue is real and it's ongoing. Um, the Canadian winter is, as Cal Nichols always used to say, you know, we don't have palm trees. Uh, we don't have right. the palm trees. And. That's We're not sure. getting them, Bruce. Don't have so the beach either. What they were selling in Edmonton, what the what Edmonton selling, and I remember talking to Nichols and Lafor- Patrick LaForge about this, was what Patrick LaForge referred to as, in a brilliant feat of salesmanship, as the pure hockey experience. This is what the Oilers had, this kind of intense, like if you wanted that to, to live and breathe hockey, if that was your personality and nature, and it is for many of these individuals, mm-hmm. right? Sure. This is their fanatics. The pure hockey experience. Now, Patrick, though, made that argument before the age of social media, where uh, it was a little different, the intensity, I think, of the pure hockey experience. Whatever that was in the 20, in 2006 or 2007, it's something completely different in 2021. And the pure hockey experience now involves uh, incessant um, evaluation, public evaluation by thousands, tens of thousands of people publicly. Um, and can be quite harsh and um, overwhelming, I think, overwhelmingly harsh to some players, or at least unpleasant. So um, it, this is another, the pure hockey experience in terms of selling that to players might be a little more difficult. That would be a harder sell. And unfortunately, every year that goes by without the Oilers uh, uh achieving some sort of significant level of success, which I would say goes beyond making the playoffs, but actually doing something in the playoffs, uh, makes that sell a little bit harder. You know, I mean, here they've got the two best, uh, the best pair of players, I would say, anywhere in the NHL, and yet the, the struggle to, to build a supporting cast around them just remains this epic uh, uh, battle. Um, 
they haven't been winning it. I won't call it a losing battle yet, but I'm I will say that it's uh, it's uh, taken a long time to climb that mountain. It's an excellent point, Bruce, because I think the the pure hockey experience, if you have a winning team in Canada, mm-hmm. could be overwhelmingly. Uh, positive for a player, for every player, like in a way that it isn't in the United States. Like if if your if your team wins the Stanley Cup in in the forest and nobody hears, um, oh, wow. did did it even happen? Like sometimes I I get that feeling with like teams in Anaheim when they win. Like you know they're you know teams in Tampa. Like there was a in Montreal there was a Montreal reporter um, who contrasted the rioting in Montreal after they won a game to the streets in Tampa after Tampa had won the Stanley cup and nothing was going on in Tampa. No one was in the streets. Nobody was celebrating, you know, so it's a much different experience in Canada when you win, but you got to win to have that, that, uh, great feeling. And it brought to mind, um, Ken Dryden's experience in Montreal in the 1970s. I just, I just read the game again, not read the game or listened to the audiobook. Highly recommend it. Best book ever written on hockey. And he was talking about his experience of after a, a win in Montreal and going around, going to the bank or get, and picking up the paper from the paper boy, buying something at the convenience store. And everyone, no one would necessarily say anything, but they would look at them. And Ken Dryden's thought is they know. They know, they know. And the, he was experienced like the collective euphoria of everybody knowing um, that he had achieved something significant. And by them knowing it made it more enjoyable, more pleasurable, more significant. So a Canadian market could have that going for it and does have that going for it when the team is successful. It's when things go sour that um, the the negativity is far more intense than other markets. So you get these extremes of of emotion that you're going to find lacking and that's always been the case but it's heightened now and when you have a losing team like the orders have been over the last 15 you know off and on 15 years and and i think the fear in edmonton is heightened by the, the fear that Connor mcdavid um, will leave edmonton and so that, so that makes it everything more everything's even more intense here because of this our you know wealth i think a well-founded you know, fact, reality of the NHL these days is players aren't on the same team their entire careers. And and so the winning window really is now. So. Yeah, well, the other thing is that in Edmonton, uh, uh, with due respect to the Elks, who haven't even seen the field for a long time, hockey is really the, I won't quite say the only game in town, but it's the big, big game in town where, the, you know, the Oilers are in the top, the top, uh, professional league. I mean, Tampa Bay, they won the cup. Well, guess what? The Buccaneers won the Super Bowl. The Rays went to the World Series. That's probably when you saw people spilling out onto the streets in, in celebration and exuberance compared to, you know, I mean, they've obviously had a great run of it, but it's, uh, you know, when you have these towns with three and four major sports in them, uh, five, if you want to include soccer in, in some of these cities, I mean, hockey is just struggling to get a big you know a piece of the action uh whereas in edmonton it's all hockey all the time it's a consuming thing and it's a consuming thing even in july and august when they're not playing games as you and i know (laughs) here we are here we are indeed and everyone listening to this podcast here you guys are like you guys and men and women listening to this podcast yeah (laughs) indeed thanks for listening bruce uh jonathan willis Worked out mm-hmm. that they have about ten point five million dollars in cap space, and he number of things factoring into that. He, he he was he was already saying, okay, you got the Hyman contract, you got Yamamoto Yamamoto signing a new contract, you got Benson and Marodi being qualified. He he's also anticipating Kyle Turris and Alex Dillock to be sent down to the to the farm. Yep. So you have these um, three. You have all those things happening, and when you factor all that in you have about 10.5 million dollars left for whatever Oilers needs have so they in theory they could go with the goalies that they have with Koskin and and Smith that may well be the case mm-hmm. so then you have for these defensive needs and for whatever needs you have at forward you have you know and it's just a couple players probably that you want to sign I don't think you want to sign yeah I think you want to sign two forwards maybe three two defense maybe one so it's probably I'm going to guess three to four signings, and probably one of them's at a minimum contract. It, um, so they've got some money to spend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Maybe no one to no one to spend it on. 
which other winger might they get? I guess they could spend money on Thomas Tatar. They could spend mm-hmm. like four or five million dollars on a short-term contract with Tatar. Getzlaff. Mm-hmm. Um, they could sign, bring in Ryan Getzlaff right. as your third line center and pay him three, three and a half to four million dollars for one or two years. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the number I heard mentioned. I think I heard that mentioned uh, if, uh, on Oilers mm-hmm. now. Yeah, it'd be three plus for sure. I would have to think that's yeah. Like, so there's uh, other wingers. You know what? Too. If you want a good three C, you got you're going to have to be prepared to pay him. I mean, you want to expect Ryan McLeod to step up and do that job. I mean, that's a core twelve position. I and I, I I've pointed out in the in the past, you know, that it's become at the top echelon a five million dollar uh, job. You know, you want to look at uh, uh, Jean Gabriel Pajot or um, Yanni Gord, who to me are, you know, top, top level three C's, arguably they almost two C's, or what Philip Dano is is uh, uh, negotiating for. You're talking about five million bucks. And I, I'm not sure the Oilers have five million. I'm not sure there's many players on the market, Dano notwithstanding, who fit quite in at that level. But Getzlaff, you know, in his declining years, he still has game as uh, near as I can tell. And I will issue the standard caveat that all players who played on american teams last year i did not see a lot of them i I was so focused on the canadian division and of course the Oilers didn't play any of those teams and and uh uh, that's typically when you get a lot of information about opponents is when you're playing them so so gets laugh even strength scoring last year Mm -hmm. bruce Mm -hmm. he ranked 349th out of Mm -hmm. 432 nhl forwards 1.15 points per game which is you know that's like fourth line um level but if his defense if he's playing defense at a high level center is a key defensive position and if he was getting the job done defensively he he could still be a very valuable player for a team so even though if his even strength scoring has cratered like that um which it looks to be the case that that is that's pretty much cratering that's that's replacement level kind of uh Five goals, so. 12 assists, and a big double-digit minus for the third year in a row. But bear in mind that the whole Anaheim team has been in the crapper for a while now. So he may be looking for a chance to play on a team that's a little better than Anaheim, whether he uh, whether he chooses Edmonton. At least we know he's a good Western Canadian boy that he won't just rule it out out of hand. He may be, you know, so... so uh, uh, you know, 16 years in California, maybe he likes the taxes and, the, you know, the the whole American thing that he would prefer to go to an American team. But anyway, it's at least at least he would consider it, you'd have to think. But I wonder if it's over money or if the move is over kind of one last gasp for this player at the Stanley Cup for, you know, to to reach that height, because to move would be a significant thing. And uh, moving, it's just, it's, you know, you have to have a really good reason. So I think that maybe the notion that he is pursuing Stanley Cup glory is might be the main driver of such a move. And Edmonton is not a bad choice in that regard, if that's your goal. And um, so, you know, if they went three million on him, you know, the the one, you know, Tyson Berry did was a top four D man. If they lose him, it'll be another top four D man that they that the Oilers lose w- within this p- same period of time. And um, you know, you can argue how how good he was. I don't think he was mm-hmm. very good on defense. All he was fantastic on the attack, and he and he fits in well. If you're going to go with Nurse and Barry, that that you know that that Nurse and Barry hang in there as as top pairing, or you know, in you know they do well. They did well together, well enough together that you know if you spent let's say four or five million on Barry, three million on Getzlaff, a million or so on Forbert. For instance, if you need, you're going to have to get them the left side D man, who's a cycle buster player. Right. Um, we'll see what happens. It's 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 hopefully hopefully we're going to get pleasantly surprised like we were last year with Tyson Berry. You know, hopefully we'll have that moment where it's like, wow, that's that's great. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I um, maybe we won't. Maybe we will find out soon. Any final thoughts, Bruce? Yeah. Uh, well, one thing I thought of is that I finally found a, a, a good good use for the Mikko Koskinen $4.5 million ah. one year left on his contract business. And that is this. If they st- stick with the goalies that they got, which is Mike Smith, Mikko Koskinen, Alex Stalock, they got three NHL 
uh, caliber goaltenders. Uh, and when they get to the start of the season, they have to figure out a way to keep Oscar Kleffbaum's contract on the roster for full cap space flexibility. They have to figure out a way to keep Oscar on the on the ro- roster for one day. And they could solve that problem in one fell swoop by waving Mikko Koskinen uh, on the first day of the season, uh, stashing him in the minors, uh, making, I think, the fairly safe assumption that nobody's going to claim him at full ticket. But even if someone does, well, they got uh, Mike Smith and Alex Daylock, you know, uh, and that's, you know, that's who they would start. Their, their season starting roster would be Mike Smith and Alex Daylock. And with Koskinen on waivers, they could actually place Oscar Kleffbaum on the roster and then on day two, send him to the minors, or sorry, send him to long-term injured reserve. And and they, would, uh, they wouldn't have that big headache they had last year, the dollar-for-dollar dollar thing. That was uh, such a pain in the butt last year. So he can go on waivers. Can you place players on waivers who have a no-trade contract? Like if you have a no it's trade contract, it's not a no movement clause. It's only a no but, but, movement but, but, that restricts. But how does life. that work if someone then selects you that's on the no trade list? Are you sure? So this we may get. That's my understanding of it. No, I, are I'm we, not. We know a, players I, with no trade contracts who have been on waivers in recent years. No trade. How do you contract? how do you send them to the minors? Like so, we know of players with no no trade clause because Koskinen has no trade clause, right? So so we know of players who with no trade clause who have been sent to the minors. And to be sent to the minors, don't you have to be sent on put on waivers first? Uh, to be sent to the minors, yes. So with the no trade clause, you can be sent to the minors. To be sent to the minors, you must go on waivers. So there must be a way for players with no trade clauses to be put on waivers. And then, but what if some team on your list then takes you? How does that work? Anyway, someone maybe someone. Original Posar will tell us exactly where we went awry. Where we <laughs> and I should have, I should have, I should have DM'd him before this podcast when I, when that idea occurred to me. I thought, oh, well, at least that's that's one little bit of value that we Oilers can extract from uh, from that uh, Koskinen millstone is that it would resolve the cleft bomb situation. But uh, maybe I should uh, double check the CBA. I'm sure it's in there, clause 37, uh, section 463. I, I, you know, somewhere in there, it's it's obviously spelled out. So, yeah, that would so if you if it's there, that it would amount to you can't send a no player with a no trade clause to the minors is how how that would work then. And I don't know if that's the case or not. I know and no so, so I was, clauses are are off the board. Yeah, so I was about to um, exclaim that your suggestion was brilliant because mm-hmm. it's on the face of it, Bruce. That sounds like a brilliant solution to a problem. And then I thought. Then I thought before I say that with any kind of certainty, uh, because we have been corrected a number of times, thankfully corrected by original Puzar, uh, who Puzar, who is a very, very astute uh, observer of all things CBA related. And uh, and uh, we are not. So uh, I just thought, oh, my, is this one where we're going to get caught up and and found out as you, maybe you, you can research that a little bit as because as, I'll give my final thought here, Bruce. Um, one of the things I'm going to write a little post about this because it's kind of charming and and will make everybody feel good in Edmonton. Uh, it made me feel good when Zach Hyman is leaving and and what's been fascinating is on Twitter is the number of kind of little love letters from Toronto Maple Leaf fans to Zach Hyman. They adore so many people adore this player. Now, of course, there's the hard headed uh, people who look at hockey aging curves and drop in performance and and when you do that you start to look at the Hyman taking a long-term deal in Edmonton in a different way but if you're just looking at Hyman right now as a player and what he gave for the Leafs in the last over the term of his career how he grew as a player there there are people who who are love this player admire the heck out of this player and one after another they're kind of penning these very fond uh posts about Zach Hyman, the player right now. So I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to write a post uh, about that probably uh, maybe in the next couple of days and just summing up what some of these people are saying. Have you had any insight onto the issue or is, oh, you're you're quiet suddenly, Bruce. I can't hear you. Did your mic turn off? Yeah, I did. So people couldn't hear me tapping away on my keyboard. It's back. Uh, According to Puckpedia, 
Another excellent source. Uh, they say, uh, no movement clauses. A player cannot be traded or placed on waivers without permission. Waivers are needed to send a player to AHL, but no trade clauses. Just says a player cannot be traded without permission. It shows no such restriction about him being placed on waivers. So, you know, you can say, don't trade me to this other team, but if, you know, if you get, get, go, get sent on waivers, then, you know, if you play poorly enough or you're, you know, so I think it's uh, it's 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 a feasible alternative. Uh, as for Zach Hyman, uh, I had a nice uh, conversation with my brother uh, Earl, who lives in uh, St. John's, Newfoundland. Lifelong Leafs fan. We grew we all grew up Leafs fans, but I moved to Edmonton uh, 50 years ago, the same year that the WHA was first announced by Gary Davidson, Ben Hatskin, uh, um, uh, Bill Hunter, and so on. Uh, but, and uh, so I, I still was a Leafs fan until the merger, and then I had to choose, and it was an easy choice, especially the way the Leafs tried to screw over the orders at that time, and the way Harold Ballard was embarrassing the human race along the National Hockey League was an easy choice. Anyway, uh, my brother's still a big Leafs fan, watches every game, and he had some very encouraging <clears throat> things to say about Hyman. Uh, as being a terrific uh, four-checker, you know, F1, first guy in the zone, very hard on the puck. He said uh, what he isn't is a great distributor of the puck, that his uh, when he wins puck battles, his sort of first instinct is to take it to the net himself or, to, you know, to fire, fire away as opposed to feed it from the corner to teammates. So that's something to watch for. That uh, I actually you know, like that, Bruce. That mm-hmm. made me like him more, not less. Okay. Because I think that's to to play with Connor McDavid. Mm-hmm. One of the common uh, problems we see with players with McDavid is that they um, they they give up the puck too much to him. They're, they're they're but a player who will actually get the puck, win the puck, and put it at the net, mm-hmm. that creates chaos. That yeah. shakes the box. That's a good play putting it at net. Uh-huh. So a guy who's got the instinct and the confidence to mm-hmm. just hammer it at the net when you're playing with Austin Matthews and Mitch Mitch Marner. Mm-hmm. I'm liking that. Did your brother say anything else about about? Yeah, him? well, just uh, he said that you know the the concern is his uh, you know he's got some hard miles on him already, and he's had you know knee injuries the last couple of years that cost him some time, and obviously if that's a chronic thing, that's a huge concern when you're you know yeah putting seven or eight years in a player. And I have to say, I have the thought. I mean, people are saying, well, pay the eight years because you really want the first four years, and then what happens after that is of no significance well that was the thought in the mid uh, 2010s uh, when the Oilers paid big money for Benoit Pouliot in the summer of 2014 and bigger money for uh, Andre Secker in 2015 and bigger still money for Milan Lucic in the summer of 2016 and guess what they all basically got bought out or, or you know became financial burdens for the team that still re, you know reside on the, on the uh, under debt cap space to this day and so that's the price you pay for, you know, to, you talk about the price you have to pay. The price you have to pay for long-term contracts for guys entering their 30s is a very likely financial uh, and salary cap, particularly pain down the road. So that's that's obviously the concern here. I, I think that's, um, in terms of my, I had a pretty negative reaction to the Hyman thing initially. And I, I think a lot of Oiler fans did. And I think a lot of us are kind of top of mind when we think of long-term contracts right now are the deals you just mentioned and, and Mark Fain being another one and and Andrew Ference and just about every free agent contracts, Eric Belanger, that the Oilers have signed in the last 10 years has, has blown up in the Oilers' face, often dramatically. We haven't had one. We haven't had that countervailing one least that maybe there is one that that really worked out brilliantly where they long-term big money and they brought a player in as like wow that was a good idea and that does happen as well like that's sometimes. not that sometimes happens it's not that common but it does happen so i think because of all that we we in edmonton we are particularly sensitive and negative just as a general rule about this kind of contract that that zach hyman is signing signing now on the day of there's often euphoria and there will be when this, I think, generally speaking, there's going to be, I did a poll, about 60% of the fans were in favor of the deal, bringing Hyman in right now, which mm-hmm. I think is rising. I think that number's going right. up as it's, yeah, uh, too. as it's getting closer to it. So, but, but I think if fans are wary about this deal, we have good reason to be wary. 
and no need to apologize from for, for anyone if you have that reaction here in Edmonton. I think it's a it's entirely valid based on hard based on a lot of painful experience as a based fan. on scar tissue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. In so, was it you that wrote a post that said uh, of sixty long term contracts over the years, thirty of them ended with the guy either injured or bought out. I don't know if that I've done that kind of look at power mm-hmm. forwards and about half of them really end poorly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, I don't know if I said that in particular. And that doesn't even include the unbuyoutable ones that, you know, where the guy, they have to keep paying the guy because they've structured the contract in such a way they can't buy him out. But it's, uh, it was a pretty harsh uh, statement, you know, that ha- half of them, that's, that's, that's not just failing to cover the bet. That's a spectacular burning going down in flames failure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, just, it's funny. Like you'd have to, you'd have to look at like any time you invest in a contract in a player, like it's always risky with NHL players. We saw this with Oscar Clefbaum. I mean, how many years did we crow? We fans crow about, and it was listed as one of Shirelli's great successes was signing Oscar Clefbaum. I think it was Shirelli who signed that to, nope. to that long-term deal. You know, one of the nope. first things. value contract. Yeah, and we were all like pounding on our chest and yippee-yay-yaying about it and with good cause. And then, so to to fully judge these UFA contracts, you have to judge all the contracts that get signed and put them into proper context. But it does seem, um, when you look just at these contracts, that it's at best a 50-50 bet that you're going to get even decent value any kind of good value that is like the the 50% that don't work out really just r- totally blow up in your face. And then the 50% that kind of work out, some of them kind of like there's, there's the kind of workout worked out and then like really worked out. And that really worked out number for those long-term contracts of players heading into their thirties. My what's before I, what's your guesstimate on how many of that really, really work out, including players who sign with their own teams, let's say. Well, that changes the equation. Yeah. I mean, well, okay. Let's talk about if you're talking about young players that sign. No, no, no. Just, just, team, you're talking no, about just, no, just players. In their players, late twenties. Players in your late twenties signing a long-term oh, okay. deal, where the vast majority of it in your thirties. Yeah. What do you think of in terms of like really, really working out where the player is near peak at least through the life of the contract? Ten percent. I was 20, I was going to say ten percent as well. Twenty yeah. at best. So, and this this is my concern entering this summer is that. Uh, uh, Ken Holland has committed, uh, well, two years to Duncan Keith, age 38 and 39, two years to Mike Smith, age 39 and 40, uh, probably seven years for Zach Hyman, ages 29 to 35, eight years to Ryan Nugent Hopkins, ages 28 to 35, and almost all of the future years that he's bought in each of those deals is for 30-plus-year-old seasons. And, you know, that's a, that's a lot of commitment to uh, older players. And it gets to be, if you have then younger players coming up who need to get paid, you know, as Toronto just found out, mm-hmm. you know, they signed John Tavares to this kind yeah. of contract that we're talking about. And mm-hmm. the, the consequence of signing John Tavares is you can't sign Zach Hyman right now. Right. And um, the consequence of all of these contracts, mm-hmm. if Dylan Holloway, Samarukov, Brobury, Bouchard, Yamamoto, Puliyarvi, if all of these players really pan out, there's a consequence then. So we'll... Um, We'll see how it goes, Bruce. We'll see how it goes. Excuse me. Alrighty. Good podcast. Good to talk to you again. Yep. Real excitement. I guess starts tomorrow with the uh, with the unrestricted free agencies uh, starting. And as we've learned in recent years, the big money and the big action happens on day one, but the big value happens down the road. So hopefully uh, Holland will leave a couple of of arrows in his quiver to uh, make some value signings. I mean, the Hyman one looks like it's going to probably be announced tomorrow morning at what is it, 10:01 a.m. Like it's all but a done deal. And uh, with the trade uh, with Toronto having fallen through, it looks like it'll be seven years at 5.5, and we'll see what the exact details are when uh, uh, when the time comes. But that time's coming real soon. Give me one second here, Bruce. I'm just seeing some breaking news and I just want to get to the bottom of it before we move on because I want to confirm. Breaking. 
Mark Spector mm-hmm. um, writes, uh, so Holland has plenty of cash to fill his shopping list of a left winger for Connor McDavid, a third line center to help with the maturation of young Ryan McLeod, a right defenseman to replace the departed Adam Larson, a third pairing left defenseman and a couple of depth forwards. Oh, and a goalie, which mm-hmm. he'll pay for by buying out Miko Koskinen in the second buyout window next month. Mm-hmm. So Speck is reporting, sounds like he's talking about with some confidence here of the orders buying out Koskinen as well in the second buyout window. Now, yeah. you and I have tried to work through how that might happen. It has to happen mm-hmm. by the orders taking someone to arbitration. Cooper Marotti is the only one with arbitration rights. And he, according to original Pozar, uh, that the, uh, even if they don't go through the process, that he simply files for arbitration would open that window for the Oilers. But uh, um, so if he uh, refused, if it, let's say he, ref, he Marotti ref, refuses his contract and says, oh, I'm going to take you to arbitration. He works yeah. it out with the team. Mm-hmm. Maybe he gets a little sugar Sweetener. for doing that. Sweetener yeah. for doing that. Like, we'll give you an extra 500 grand, Cooper. Mm-hmm. Or not 500 grand, but 50 grand or something like that. We'll give you, we'll pay you, we'll, we'll give you a one-way. We'll give we'll you a one-way pay you contract. You mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, something like that. That would be, hey, well, maybe that could happen then, right? And that maybe. you could then buy out Koskinen. So you collude with the player to take you to, to arbitration and then you, then you settle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you just like you negotiate with Zach. Well, that was no, that was allowed. Sorry, excuse me. That's not just like that. That was allowed to negotiate with Zach Hyman ahead of time by Toronto. Um, yeah, you do that. You you pull a Tampa Bay and uh, you stretch the rules as far as you can and and you try to take advantage of it. So people will think of that what they will. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, that's one way to do it. And uh, I mean, we'll see about the uh, the goalie. I mean, due respect to uh, to uh, Specter. He also had uh, Larson resigning four years times three point nine million here a couple of weeks ago, and he got you know, the he got the term and the and, it, and the number right. Yeah, yeah, basically, uh, just to got the team wrong, you know. And I mean, it's it's I mean, it's always a uh, it's not nothing's for certain. I mean, it may be what they're planning to do, uh, and I guess we'll find out. But uh, it's it, it's um, it probably comes down to they have this money to spend. If they can't spend it. And I think they need to spend it, right? They want to spend it. So if you can't spend it on a D-man or a, or a forward that makes sense, then you then you then you sign Linus Allmark, or you mm-hmm. trade who's going to be expensive, or mm-hmm. you trade for Darcy Kemper, and then you he's got four point five million left, and that's that's expensive on top of probably eating well buying out Koskinen. Well, that no, you you save money from buying out Koskinen, but it's expensive then to get a goalie. So. I could see them. This is a definite possibility. Spectre has good sources. He had, mm-hmm. I think, I think he had the contract right. He had the term right. He just was expecting it to go through in Edmonton. It went through somewhere else. So he was half right, half. Right. He was wrong on a pretty big piece of it. But um, anyway, I, 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 he has great sources, Mark Spectre. He often gets it right. So this is, I think this is a credible, I'm going to put it in the category of, is it going to happen? Well, we'll find out. But is this a credible rumor? Is is, is this a... A, a stated intention that mm-hmm. Mark has on, you know, off the record from someone who, that is real. I think I'm going to say that's definitely the case. Um, and that's an interesting thought. Well, it op- would open up 3 million in cap space in uh, this upcoming season, but it would incur a cap penalty in the, of 1.5 in the immediately following season, just when the nurse and bear and pull the RV uh, extensions are set to kick in. So that, that has, uh, it has less of a payoff. For the Oilers, it might, you know, it'll, it'll it'll open space for one year, but it'll, uh, you know, the, the year following they'll be still paying Koskinen and they'll still be paying for another goalie. But and Miko anyway. Koskinen is one year off being a good NHL goalie. He had a nine mm-hmm. six nine, nine seventeen save percentage. He was a good NHL goalie that year. Um, he was a good NHL goalie last year after the start of the season when he was called upon to play every game and hadn't played and hadn't played that much. Uh, in quite some time, was a bit rusty. But after Mike Smith came back, Miko Koskinen played pretty well, did he not? So, you know, I, I'm ambivalent about this. Um, I can see them leaving it open as an option. If if they can't sign, if they can't use their money on anyone else and it makes sense to use it as a goalie, then this buyout would make 
sense, but they do have other needs where where they need to bring in players. There might not be the opportunity though, Bruce, to spend to mm-hmm. to, to get a quality right D that's worthy of that amount of money. So maybe that's why they're keeping that open. Yeah, a couple other big pieces of news today. Mark Andre Fleury traded to Chicago for effectively nothing. Uh, which, uh, what do you expect me to get him for nothing? Uh, question does come to tip of tongue, I have to say, because Chicago did get Fleury for just a contract going the other way. Uh, yeah. And, you know, when you think of what the Oilers paid, in addition to the taking on the full cap hit for Duncan Keith, it kind of, kind of, uh, kind of riles a little bit but anyway Chicago got Fleury and now Fleury's saying he's thinking about his future this is fresh off of Vezina Trophy Wayne of course uh here's another one Capitals announced five-year deal for Alexander Ovechkin talk about your long-term contracts for older players AAV 9.5 million dollars this will take him to his age 40 season now Ovechkin's a rare case he signed a 13-year deal way, way back in 2008, and he covered the entire bet. He is an absolute phenomenon, but can he carry it on for another five years at that rate? Holy. Huh. <laughs> Here's a funny one for you. Because what I'm hearing out of Vancouver, at least fans, I don't know what the Canucks management are expecting, but they, they're expecting something back for Nate Schmidt. Like mm-hmm. they, they think they'll trade Nate Schmidt and get something. But I'm just reading here when Nate Schmidt was traded to uh, the news is when he was traded to Vancouver, the news was the Vancouver Canucks have acquired defenseman Nate Schmidt from the Vegas Golden. Oh, they for a third round draft pick. So they did give up a third round draft pick when they when they when they got him. So maybe maybe that's not crazy. But Schmidt's value has got to be less because he didn't play particularly well in Vancouver this past year. He didn't have the shine on him like he certainly had in Las Vegas. So. Um, I don't know what they're expecting this year for Nate Schmidt. Maybe the market though is is a win at this point. I mean, they got OEL and they're they're paying him, right? But anyway, um, and then then one last item, at least from my end, uh, Dollywall in Vancouver uh, says the Canucks are really concerned about an offer sheet for Elias Pettersson. So many rumors, Bruce, right now. So many rumors, eh? Like it's just... It, it, that would be that would Seattle, warm my heart. Seattle, my, oh, Seattle yeah. could go after him. Oh yeah. Well, they'd and give that, up all those picks though. Yeah. Which could be high picks because, of yeah. course, if you have Les Pedersen on that team, suddenly a very different team than it looks right now. Because right now it doesn't look to me like a honestly anywhere close to a playoff team. But they have all this cap space to spend. Mm-hmm. Now, would you want to give up what would probably be five? first round draft picks in compensation to bring in um because i don't I think, know what the what the dollar value it keeps going up and up i think it's close to 10 million now to, to pay the full four four first round picks i think so too is it four picks yeah now peterson might peterson might be worth that mm-hmm. just looking up uh, compensation so, for rfas right i don't know if i can find it anyway yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, or Hughes. I heard Hughes is also a free agent, is he not? And RFA could be offer sheeted. So both of those guys could be offer sheeted, which which would um, either way is good news for an Oiler fan um, if that were to happen. So now Vancouver matches, but they have to pay through the nose to do it. It's yeah, yeah. Not the worst case scenario for the rivals. All righty, let's leave it there, Bruce. Good talking right. to you. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.